the Tea Party, a podcast where we spill all the tea on current events and stuff going on um, around us without all the sugar coating. I'm Ashley Dade. And I'm Madeline Wolf. And I'm Miracle Davidson. Today we're going to be talking about trans and gay rights as well as transphobia and homophobia in the black community. Um, as we expand on talking about intersectionality, we're going to mention about being black, female, male, trans, or young and old adds another layer to the LGBTQ status and how intersectionality adds value to every story. Beginning with some history, though we may not realize the LGBTQ movement has been around for many, many generations being in the background of a lot of movements and events throughout history. Um, Things like the Pink Triangle, which started off as a way to identify LGBTQ Jews in World War II, which has now become a pride symbol for the community, to things like the Stonewall Riots, where we see activists like Marsha P. Johnson and Miss Major Griffin Gracie making waves of change and bringing awareness to the trans and especially black trans movement as trans women. You can't talk about the modern LGBTQ rights movement without talking about Marsha P. Johnson. She and other trans women, like Sylvia Rivera, were among the first to fight police in the infamous riot at the Stonewall Inn in 1969, which is often thought to be a turning point for the LGBTQ rights movement. Johnson and Rivera also co-founded the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, housed in the 1970s to provide food, clothing, and housing to transgender and gender nonconforming youth in New York City. Backtracking a little further back, we have an individual named Baynard Rustin, who played a vital role in the civil rights and gay rights moving, movements during the early 60s. He served as Martin Luther King's advisor and his right-hand man. Rustin organized the historic 1963 March on Washington. Although having a hand in some of the most important events in history and working alongside the historic Martin Luther King Jr., Rustin is often overlooked and not talked about due to his sexuality. Although at first Rustin didn't speak of his sexuality and later talked about it more, he was afraid that it would affect his work. In the 1930s and 40s, Josephine Baker was a French actress, singer, um, and dancer who was open about her sexuality. She was the only woman to speak at the March on Washington and endured racism from the white family she worked for for decades. She refused to perform to audiences that were segregated and um, was an early icon in the intersectionality of racism and the LGBTQ community. So we talked about the term intersectionality a few times. Uh, Barbara Smith is an activist, author, and publisher who helped coin the term, and she is often considered the mother of intersectionality. Intersectionality is the understanding that all of our identities impact us simultaneously, simultaneously in ways that are complicated and intertwined. In the article titled Everyday Feminism, originally from Huffington Post, Um, It quotes, black bisexual women are often misunderstood, excluded, or fetishized. Black bisexual men, on the other hand, are routinely vilified. Um, In biphobia, black men and lesbians often target um, bisexual individuals and expect them to conform to one specific gender as as opposed to being open to both. 
and then they also experience homophobia from families and friends, and then racism within the LGBTQ community, and then also um, LGBTQ discrimination within the race community. Um, biphobia, homophobia, and racism all amplify the birdcage analogy of rounding up um, black people and th- through targeting them through like scapegoats. So with talking about scapegoats as a part of the LGBTQ community, um, being a part of that, police brutality and victimization of the LGBTQ can um, contribute to them as scapegoats um, as a part of the Roundup mission that we explored with the birdcage analogy. This idea feeds into the feeling of black LGBTQ feeling ostracized from both white gay communities and the black community as a whole. One thing the, the Huffington Post article, Everyday Feminism, um, suggests is that there is also the reality that most LGBTQIA spaces are actually not for us, us being black LGBTQ. Uh, very often they are implicitly white-centered and or mostly geared toward gays and lesbians. This is um, This kind of just shows that that space isn't necessarily there to support them where we see this is where we see a lot of discrimination and um, lack of support for black LGBTQ both in their mental and physical health it's not as readily available for these groups to act for this group specifically to access as it is for other LGBTQ groups or other groups in general Um, this is what keeps us in that similar loop um, that we referred to as invisible punishment which was also an aspect of the birdcage analogy now that we discussed the history and how black and black lgbtq are portrayed we're going to talk a little bit about how they are portrayed in the media with different examples of actresses musicians athletes and more the relatively new artist lil nas x who debuted in 2018 came out strong mixing genres like country and rap that people never thought belonged together um he's been switching up the game from day one keeping people on their toes and with the release of his album his very first album he decided to come out as gay Um, at this point he was at the top of the charts he was number one for like 16 or so weeks straight Um, So a lot of people had questions about why he chose this time, this moment to come out and why he thought it was necessary. And in his interview, um, his The Shop interview with Kevin Hart and others, he talks a little more about like why it was important to come out at that moment. I'd say that it's not that like it's like being forced. It's just like knowing like growing up, like I'm grown, I'm growing up to hate this shit. I'm not supposed to ever like this. Hey, what? Homosexuality, gay Why? people. Come on now. Why you gonna? If you're really from the hood, you know. You like, you know, like it's it's, it's not some. So it's like if for me, the the cool dude with the song on top of everything to say this, any other time, like I'm doing this for attention in my eyes. But if you're doing this like while you're at the top, you know it's like for real, and it's like showing like it doesn't really like matter. I guess exactly. It does. There it is. So as you can kind of hear in the interview, Lil Nas X is defending his um, view about why he came out at the time he came out. You can hear Kevin Hart and a couple of the other guys coming at him asking why. Uh, To me, 
it's a big his reasoning makes sense and it it's really he's trying to get them to understand that it's not as accepted as they're playing it out to be Kevin Hart kind of like you know really diminishes um the meaning behind coming out he acts as if it's it's nothing it's simply accepted in the community and right there you can hear Lil Nas saying like no like you know it's not that simple like born and raised to hate it and Kevin Hart acts like there's no hate surrounding it like there is no stigma and and that is where we kind of get that issue of it's not an acceptance thing when at that point it's just like you writing it off because you don't really want to talk about it Another part of significant about Lil Nas coming out is that he waited until he had been at the top of the Billboard charts for weeks and had already kind of gained that popularity and that voice before um, releasing that information about himself that might have otherwise kind of changed his projectile and how people viewed him in the public um, had he not waited until he was famous to announce his bisexuality. And um, kind of adding to everything, I feel like in the black community, um, a lot of black people kind of have the idea that just because we don't say something or it's not talked about that it's in a way accepted. And a lot of the times in the black community is kind of pushed on the back burner. A lot of time in the black community, um, acceptance is limited to if an individual quote-unquote acts or dresses or talks like um, a boy or a girl, and that just goes to show that acceptance isn't always truly acceptance, and a lot of individuals are being forced to act a certain way or dress a certain way or look a certain way, although it, even though their sexuality or identity may com- not conform to that. All right, so now that we've talked a little bit about Lil Nas X and his interview that was so big, it really, you know, got gained a lot of traction. Um, thinking back, he's not, he's not the first person to do this. There has been artists before him, Frank Ocean, Tyler, the Creator, and so many other black artists that have come out as being a part of the LGBTQ community. Frank Ocean specifically caught a lot of the backlash with his song, Thinking About You. Um, after he came out to the world and told them that he had fallen in love with a man, a lot of people began to question that song and view it differently. And, you know, you had men saying like, oh, I can't listen to that anymore because this is about a man and I'm not gay. And that stigma of, you know, kind of like canceling him and that song, um, really set back his career Uh, he hasn't released music in a while now and it just seems like they kind of pushed him down and hushed him up in that sense of you know wanting to quiet that out and not really wanting to talk about it um and not being able to separate his feelings from you know the feelings they get when they listen to the song and i think a lot of the time when situations like frank oceans uh happen artists work becomes discredited and listeners start to rethink what the song is actually about and in a way they start to overanalyze and overinterpret um, and come up with these crazy ideas about what the artist is actually really trying to get across in their song. Contrastly, rapper Azalea Banks, who considers herself part of the LGBT community, um, also referred to it as the gay white KKK after she was criticized for calling a flight attendant a gay slur. So while it's present there more than ever, um, 
homophobia exists beyond the music industry um, and a lot of it can be seen in sports where we have NFL players, basketball players, um, mostly male athletes being discriminated against for coming out as gay. Um, some examples are Wade Davis, former NFL player, Derek Gordon, he was the first openly gay NCAA athlete, um, Michael Smith, he was also a black gay athlete, um, and he played in the NFL, um, drafted to the Rams. And pretty much the men in this, um, in the sports industry and in these these games that we see as like extremely masculine are being discriminated against for being a part of the um, LGBTQ community. They're coming out, they're saying their piece and people are giving them a whole lot of backlash. And that's where we kind of broach on the topic of locker room talk. You know, a lot of, um, it seems like a lot of people are wary of, they're like, oh, well, it'll make the locker room uncomfortable. That's usually the first thing that's said when we talk about men in sports and men being gay in sports. Um, in contrast, however, we have the WNBA, which has a large number of openly out players, um, and it does not jeopardize their careers in any way, shape, or form. It's actually expected most often and uh, supported very strongly, whereas we've seen, like, um, as I mentioned earlier, Derek Gordon, our first openly gay NCAA athlete, um, not being, not going to play in the NBA no matter you know how much skill he had simply because he couldn't handle the pressures anymore and uh michael smith citing um retiring after only a year due to mental health reasons because you know when he came out it was just a lot of people telling him that his sexuality wasn't welcomed in the game so the contrast there we get the intersectionality of being male um oftentimes it's being female that's worse but in this case you know being male in a masculine dominated area um, where they expect things of you and then having your sexuality being connotated with femininity um, and having that take away from your skill and your career and your game. Um, touching back a little bit um, on Wade Davis, uh, he actually waited a little bit um, later in his career or actually after his career to come out because he automatically thought about the kind of conflict that it would um, create within the locker room and with his teammates and in a lot of instances like uh, Davis's they don't a lot of individuals don't think about themselves they automatically think about those around them and how those around them are going to look at them and how it's going to impact their jobs and in a way it's kind of sad because in a way um, it's kind of saddening because people, individuals have to think about those around them and how it's going to affect them rather than thinking about, oh, I want to do this for myself. So one thing to acknowledge is that um, with the athletes is that it isn't always the athlete themselves that is coming out, you know, and living their truth to the world. Um, like in Dwayne Wade's case, his son, Zion, who's 12 years old, um, is openly more feminine I don't know if he's come out as gay per se but you know definitely more feminine in the way he dresses the way he acts you know carries himself and Dwayne Wade and his wife Gabrielle Union their whole family is amazingly supportive of all of that um 
however, they're getting a lot of backlash. Um, a lot of people messaging Dwayne Wade, whether it be like his old fans, you know, or people that are, you know, still about him now, people who used to play with him, whoever, they all have something to say about the issue of his son. And, you know, they're saying, oh, you're turning him gay. You're letting him live like this. Why would you do something, you know, so terrible? And it's kind of um, unique in the sense that Dwayne Wade came out and something that he quoted and his um, in response to all this backlash, he said, I think as a family, we should support each other. That's our job. And my job as a father is to facilitate their lives and to support them and be behind them, whatever they want to do. Um, that's what we hope every parent would say clearly, you know, in today, even in today's society, that's not the response we're getting a lot of times. Um, but it, this just kind of shows the situation of how being an athlete and receiving this kind of like backlash is it extends beyond your personal experience like this is something that you know is completely unrelated to the sport but somehow people feed into d wade's character and his son's character and gabrielle union and like you know who they are as people and start to see them differently even though it's not their truth and it has nothing to do with them and honestly, in my opinion, I think that the weights are just a positive example of how you should um, raise your kids and allow them to grow and support them no matter what they want to do, how they identify and stuff like that. And another positive figure within their family is uh, Zaire, uh, Dwayne Wade's oldest son. He actually, after the post, uh, controversial uh, Thanksgiving post that the family posted, he made a follow-up post saying, we didn't ask for your opinion. And it just goes to show that with um, any family that it's important to be accepting and support those no matter what, no matter what other people have to say around you, no matter what the world thinks. And I really like what you said there um, about how it's it's important to recognize that as family we should be supporting each other, but I think it's also important to recognize that people are people and though these are celebrities, these are athletes, and they have a lot of tension on themselves, it is just as hard for this kid to come out and live his truth as it is for the quiet kid sitting in a math class somewhere in a random school to live their truth. So really respecting people's um, journey and their like privacy and, you know, everything that they choose to share isn't always for you. And I think a lot of people get caught up in thinking that everything that a celebrity posts is about them for them, you know, that they want them to, you know, see this and know this. And sometimes just like you post stuff for yourself, it's them posting that for themselves. So really keeping, um, that was a good point and how we need to like, not only they keep in perspective, how they should manage their family, but we need to keep in perspective as like onlookers and observers of, you know, celebrities and their lives that, you know, these are also people too. In addition to the athletes that we've seen coming out in the black LGBT community, um, there's also a number of actresses and musicians who have um, played significant roles, including India Moore, Janelle Monet, Raven Simone, Isis King, and Amanda Stenberg. 
So, India Moore um, is a up-and-coming transgender actress who just recently appeared in the um, new film Queen and Slim. And I recently saw a lot of conversations about people saying, oh, I would have wanted to know that she was a transgender um, actress. And just different conversations about wanting to know or feeling like they had the right to know that she was a transgender actress. And those who said that have also received a lot of backlash from others saying that why does it matter? She's still an actress. And that just goes back to situations where artists or actresses um, work are being discredited because of their sexuality or how they identify. And just feeding off of that, um, one thing specifically for her case, you said a lot of people were questioning oh, and saying like, oh, I would like to know, I would have wanted to know if I was watching a transgender actress, whatever. Um, and that just kind of goes to show how they are unable to separate their career aspirations and their entire like they can't just be an actress playing a character they have to be a transgender actress playing a character or a gay or a non-binary like there's always this label that has to follow them which to me is kind of weird because we our own genders if it's you know just female male that doesn't follow us like you're just an actress oh you're playing this character but you weren't a female actress playing a you know a specific character it doesn't really follow so it's kind of weird to me how this label is so attached um to these people and how they can't really separate it um that being said india moore still advocates consistently for the lgbtq community she's a huge advocate um and it though it seems like at times she's never really fully recognized for her work as herself. Um, she does set that aside a lot and continue to advocate for her community um, in ways that, you know, people like we talked about earlier with Azealia Banks didn't, you know, they kind of came back on that community and pushed back. And it just kind of shows that even when you're facing your own adversity, they've, they still promote the community for the better of the community rather than like attacking it, you know, um, which is so common between like the black community itself attacking itself or the LGBTQ attacking itself and like not working together. Um, in consideration of the community not attacking itself, um, another actress who's non-binary and queer is Amanda Stenberg, who um, prefers the use of they and them pronouns because she doesn't want to like target either a man or a woman. Um, she's also been a role model for young, queer, and gender non-conforming people and has spoken many times about her sexuality, gender, and labels. Um, another important figure for was Isis King, who was the first transgender model for American Apparel after she gained fame from America's Next Top Model. She's also an actress on the Netflix series about um, When They See Us about the conviction of the Central Park Five. After rising to fame in the Disney Channel series, Raven Simone came out um, a couple decades later and definitely shocked um, her fans when she announced that she was gay. Additionally, Janelle Monet um, came out as pansexual, um, and the singer and actress described herself as being a queer black woman, but that does not limit her sexual preferences to gender or to gender identity. Continuing with different activists today, we have Simone Bell, who is the first out black lesbian to serve on state legislature. 
She's a proven advocate for the LBGT community through work on the LGBT and HIV issues at the Atlanta Lesbian Health Initiative and Lambda Legal, where she fought for better access to healthcare, safe schools, and housing. American poet, essayist, playwright, feminist, and bisexual activist June Jordan um, is notable for her boundary crossings, quote unquote, that gave her the intellectual breadth on an issue, an extension on a new way to see ourselves in the world. She loves poetry, but it was growing up, was not introduced to the work of black poets, and she felt fundamentally at odds with predominantly white male curriculum in college and left Barnard School without graduating. However, she wrote, if I am not free and if I am not entitled equal to heterosexuals and homosexuals, then homosexual men and women have joined with the dominant heterosexual culture in the tyrannical pursuit of e pluribus unum. And I, a bisexual woman committed to cultural pluralism and therefore to sexual pluralism, can only say, you better watch your back. She had a fierce commitment to human rights and political activism, and over her career, she produced 27 volumes of poems, essays, and work for children. She engaged the fundamental struggles of her era for civil rights, women's rights, and sexual freedom. Now we have Raquel Willis. Uh, transgender activist Raquel Willis is a longtime advocate for the rights of transgender and gender nonconforming people, especially transgender people of color. She's currently a national organizer for the Transgender Law Center, the largest national trans-led advocacy organization, and previously worked on behalf of the Solutions Non-Punishment Coalition to End Police Profiling of Transgender Women of Color. She also led a Trans Liberation Tuesday mobilization effort with the, with the larger Black Lives Matter movement and was, and was a speaker at the Women's March on Washington in 2017. So not all activists are straight up activists coming out to speak about movements. Some are just people with stories and situations that they have been a part of that have been become highlighted and... Um, and their stories start a movement, and that becomes activism in itself. Um, for example, Cece McDonald um, is a transgender woman who, in June of 2011, was attacked by a group of transphobic and racist men at a bar, which led to one of the men's deaths. McDonald was arrested and convicted for the death and sent to a men's prison despite identifying as a woman. Her arrest sparked outcry from the LGBTQ community and others and called attention to the unjust treatment of transgender people in prisons. Um, McDonald was released in 2014 after 19 months and has since become an outspoken activist for transgender rights. So using CC's case as, as an example, um, it really shows how our prison system in the US isn't very tolerant of transgender rights um, or rights of marginalized groups in general. Um, the placement of CC in a prison that was outside of her gender um, really just goes to show how people's pronouns um, and their identification haven't hasn't been valued until um, recently. It's becoming more and more a thing. Um, that kind of takes us into the conversation of why it's so important to use people's correct pronouns, ask for pronouns, and how just simply asking for pronouns can change the way we talk about these issues as a whole. 
basically we can see how the intersectionality of race and being part of the LGBTQ community um, kind of amplifies the birdcage analogy because um, you know being queer or um, or anything just adds another barrier and another um, wire to that cage to complicate the lives of people who are already um, a minority group. With that being said, change can start with just being open-minded and having that conversation within your own lives, your friends, your families, coworkers, anyone you're around. It's really just bringing that conversation to the forefront and not being shy to talk about it. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tea Party. I'm Ashley Dade. I'm Miracle Davidson. And I'm Madeline Wolf. Thank you for tuning in to our tea time.